All right, it's time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and he is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, live from my Murdoch Santa Fe. No, oh, there it is. You're in your car. All right, so yeah. I'm I'm curious here uh, how much value you put on being the one seed, whether you think it's a big advantage to uh, see the Lakers in the second round or a big advantage to avoid them until the conference final, or if you're bored by the entire discussion and you just don't care. No, I think the one seed's really, really important for three or four reasons. Um, one, the Lakers are great. Uh, what Frank Vogel's done defensively without LeBron and Anthony Davis, I actually think is coach of the year worthy. Um, and probably he deserves to be in the discussion. We always just take the coach of the year for the team that's the best record in the NBA, and so for that, Quinn or Doc's going to win it. But I think that, frankly, Frank Vogel probably deserves coach of the year for having lost his two best players and kept that team afloat, um, or at least some discussion in there. Um, uh, and I, but at the same time, I actually think the Clippers are the best team in the West and have all year, so... I don't actually think there's like a game to play where you gain anything by avoiding the Lakers in the second round. I think the Clippers are just as good. In fact, I think the Clippers, as I said, are the best team in the West. Um, regards to the number one seed, I think it's wildly important because with the Dupin tournament, uh, eight plays nine and nine plays ten, so the eighth seed will have played two games by the time you play them. That's one. Two, because of that, you're guaranteed to play the last day of the first round because your eighth seed has already played those two games, so you get extra rest. Uh, three, I think home court throughout the whole thing is we increase attendance over the next month and a half or two months is going to be really important as well. And lastly is, you know, I guess now that Denver's had the Jamal Murray injury, but let's see how dominant Jokic can be. You know, before that injury, I thought there were five teams that could win the West, which is really incredible. We haven't had that in a long time. And I thought they were all very, very equal. You know, if I had to sort them, I would. The Clippers is the best. But their differential was very slim. So to have home court, I thought, was a really, is a really, really big advantage in that. So I think having the number one seed is considerably important. So you mentioned multiple times you think the Clippers are the best team. Why don't you think the Jazz are the best team? Are, well, first of all, the difference between the Jazz and the Clippers this year, I think, has been health. Um, you know, the Jazz deserve a lot of credit for this, uh, but they have been able to avoid COVID protocol and they've been able to avoid injury. And, you know, some of that's luck, but some of it's not by accident. Some of it's Mike Elliott and Eric Waters, and the staff that was built by by Dennis and Justin and and David Morway in the front office. David Morway, I think, may have led that campaign from his background at Indiana doing the same um, and the way Quinn's managing the team. So I, I think there's credit to be given there. I don't want to – I think that's important. But really, you know, the other night was the first time we've played a game in which we were missing two rotation players. Yeah. Uh, most teams have gone through – you know, I think I would guess if we look at the Lakers' main rotation, they've probably had about – I don't know, just off the top of my head, maybe 50% of their games – where they've been missing two rotation players. Um, the Clippers have probably had close to 50% of their games. The two teams that have not are the Jazz and the Suns, and that's, I think, why they're ahead of everyone else in the standings. Um, and so if everyone's now gets back to healthy, 
Uh, I just think the, the length of the Clippers, the versatility of what they can put out there offensively, um, I think they've dealt with their chemistry problems with addition by subtraction. Um, and I, so I think they're a much better, um, I think they're a much better constituted team than they were a year ago. And then you have Kawhi and Paul George with a lot of really, really good players around. Paul George, quite frankly, is the wild card, right? Like, you know, the, the Lakers don't seem to have that same wild card. That, you know, Paul George has a track record of getting in, in his own way in the playoffs. And will he do that again? So assuming the, the standings stay really kind of relatively the same, which, which I think they're going to, a Jazz-Lakers second-round series is not guaranteed, but is probable. And I'm curious if you think the Lakers are going to be healthy. I think that we can assume LeBron is because we saw the injury. And we, we know that you okay. <laughs> are you okay, David? We saw, I'm fine. Why would, there, what just happened? There's a lot of noise, and it sounded like it you know, might have been you and your oh. vehicle. I, okay. I can switch. I can switch off Bluetooth if it's a problem. I was just trying to be hands free. Okay. Uh, now stay stay hands free. Uh, so, assuming it's Jazz and Lakers, we know LeBron's injury. We saw it happen. We know the history of that injury, and we know LeBron's history. He should be healthy. But AD's health seems like a huge wild card. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would like to see. If we're gonna, if you're gonna have to play the Lakers. I would think the sooner the better. Um, they haven't had a lot of time together. Um, they might not be in perfect shape. They might not be healthy. Maybe the other angle is you wear them down a little bit. But I, you know, Denver's going to give a, Denver will give them a fight in that first round. That four or five series seems like it's fairly well set. Um, so all likelihood, Denver Denver will give them a fight even without Jamal Murray. They're not as good. They're not as dynamic, but they're pretty good still. Michael Porter Jr. is like bona fide scorer, somewhere between like Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant bona fide scorer, like really legit. So they're going to turn it over to he and Jokic, and those guys have 17 games to figure out how to work together. They're a little thin on the guard line because they traded Gary Harris. Um, but they're, like, that, that Denver team, Jamal Murray's great. I'm not discrediting that at all. But they're not done. Like, they're not – they're going to give a bigger fight than people realize. I loved that Denver team. I thought uh, – I loved it all year. And that Aaron Gordon was putting something in a place where you're getting a zero. Paul Millsap as a starter was giving them zero. So that's a huge upgrade for them only because they're getting, you know, that, that's where I think sometimes we get lost in these player acquisitions is when you add something in a spot where you're already getting something, the incremental difference is pretty slim. But when you do what, you know, the greatest example is the Lakers had the 30th best power forward in the league in Kwame Brown and added Pyle Gasol and went crazy. That's not that far off. I mean, they didn't get Pyle Gasol. Aaron Gordon's only okay. But they were not getting anything out of Paul Millsap. So I almost might argue that even without Jamal Murray, that's a better team today than it was before the trade deadline, and um, or at least that's good. And so I don't think they're going to just whimper on out. So they're talking about Favors not playing. Who gets his minutes? Really interesting, isn't it? Like, so I think it's anything of two different combinations. I think we'll see Jawan Morgan, who we saw – the playoffs, the coaching staff has always really liked Juan. He's always done well. He's had actually only two games all year where he played over 20 minutes. Both those were against Dallas this year, one of which he was very, very good, one of which he was not, um, which is exactly what you'd expect with someone who's got about 120 minutes of career time. Uh, the other one is Ersan Ilyasova. Ilyasova played a 
about 72 minutes of his time as a center for Milwaukee last year. And I would assume that it's not entirely coincidental that Azubuke got hurt and Ilyasova got signed shortly thereafter. So I, I would think we'll see Ilyasova playing some five in a real stretch five. He's a pretty good rebounder. Uh, Percentage-wise, he is 6'10". He's got a good reach. You know, I don't think his legs are quite what they once were, that his knees always want to play along anymore at 30, whatever he is, somewhere between 33 and 35. I can't remember. He's 33. Um, and uh, so listed at 33. Um, I think that that's a case in which he's, you know, his legs aren't quite what they once were, but I think he can still rebound well enough out of that position. Um, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see. A good test. I mean, these guys are mammoth with Turner and Sabonis, so it'll. This is a tough one to try to try to play without all your guy, all your centers. So, do you think the Jazz are going to have any problems in this? I mean, Indiana's won four of five, but they played arguably the three worst teams in the NBA in that stretch and won all three of those games. The losses to the Clippers. I mean, Indiana's good. They're an average, a little bit above average team. Their record, I think, is below average, but their numbers are slightly above average. So if you don't have a good night, you're in trouble or a good day. Um, I, you know, we'll see how Jordan comes back. Hopefully, we can get that kind of magic in that second unit. In the game they lost the other day, they, in the minutes in which you usually have that lineup that's just been crushing people, which is Conley. Clarkson, Ingles, Niang, Gobert, that's been our best lineup of our non-starters, and that spans the final two minutes of the first quarter into about the first four minutes of the second quarter, the same thing in third and fourth, and really have crushed people. We were minus 16 in those minutes the other night in the loss to Washington. Um, so just not having our regular rotation and missing two guys, I think, was really you know, vital to that game. So if we can't, because of the favors being out or Clarkson's not quite right, we can't create that again. That's a big loss for us to not be dominant in that time period of the game. Uh, they're, they're interesting. They've been scoring a ton recently and not defending at all, but a lot of that's because Miles Turner was out, and now you get Miles Turner back, and they still score at that same rate with Miles Turner back, then they might be clicking a little bit. What do you think they do with Conley? Because they got some back-to-backs coming up, obviously, today and tomorrow. It was interesting. They played Conley in a back-to-back the other day, and the and then clearly he was on a minutes restriction in that time period, right? I think he played 24 in that game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play both today and tomorrow, but he just did it at a lower number rate. Um, but maybe not. I mean, there's a bigger picture going on here, which is, you know, fresh is the word I keep hearing Quinn Snyder use, fresh. It's not healthy, it's fresh. And I think that's as much as saying I'm not – as convinced as the article in the ESPN by all the G, with all the GM quotes without much data that the trunk the truncated second half of the schedule and the increased games is causing injury. I think it's causing mental and physical fatigue, and particularly mental fatigue at a high level. And so I think uh, Quinn's use of the word "fresh" is a good word. You're trying to get your team fresh. It's also this sounds subtle, but. The number one seed plays last. I think it has to. We've never done this before, but just intuitively, if the team that's the eighth seed has already had to play two playing games and has to travel to the, their third city in three games, I'm assuming that they're going to make them play the last game of the first round. Um, so I would say I think that's an important one. Like that extra day or two could give you a little, make you a little more fresh. Yeah. 
frankly, you're probably going to get Zion or Steph, so it's not going to be easy. And seven's going to be Luca or Dame, so that's not great either. But they're, you know, if you get a team that's a little tired, you can jump on them for the first two, and you walk out with a five-game series. While the Lakers and Nuggets are in a bloodbath, that keeps you fresh too. So those are all the reasons I do think back to where we started. The one seat's really important. This is just kind of a, a trivial note, but we were discussing this, and we couldn't remember anything. A weekday afternoon game that isn't a holiday. I can think of Christmas and MLK days. When's the last time the Jazz played a weekday afternoon game that wasn't a holiday? It, it's giving me slight shudders and fear because um, we used to do this in the WNBA all the time. It was summer camp day, and it was like the highest attendance game of the year. So you'd have like 13,000 eight-year-olds, girls screaming, or eight-year-old and nine-year-old and 10-year-old girls screaming at the top of their lungs for two hours straight. And it was always quite a din to have behind your broadcast. I don't think we'll have that today, but I have no idea when the last time we did this is. We used to do it all the time in the W for summer camp day, and it was always a very unique game. You know, going to the number one seed, and you think it's important, you've already said that. Going forward here, how do you think they balance other guys? You know, we know you already spoke about Conley and Favors, but how do they balance the rest of the nucleus to make sure they're that, what you say, fresh when the postseason begins? You know, there's there's an interesting conversation here. I don't know the answer. There's an interesting conversation here of what is optimum for an athlete. So I've had a grand total of like two conversations about this in my whole life, but one of them was with Mike Elliott. And it was a really interesting conversation. And it was in a year in which it was kind of the first year they stretched out the schedule. That year where we added like 12 days at the beginning of the schedule and stretched it out to get rid of three games and four nights and four out of five. And, and Mike was like, Hey, four out of five, we got to get rid of it. Like that's bad. And three out of four is hard. And he's like, but what's also hard on an elite athlete is two or three days off. That if they're not banged up, you know, what your game is that you're trying to play in your health and performance staff is to keep your athletes at their optimum performance rate. And these guys are so, such refined machines. And so they're at their optimum performance rate probably playing every other day. Like, I saw a quote from a GM that said, every other game for five straight weeks is too much. I don't don't know from my understanding of this that that's actually totally true. Like, I actually think that that might be your optimum performance. Perform, rest, perform, rest. It's terrible for practice. But from athletic performance, I actually, from my understanding of brief conversations, that's not that terrible. So I don't know the answer, PK, but it's, it's really... Like, there's a very fine line here of, like, you don't want to take an athlete like a Rudy or Donovan who's at optimum peak performance and give them a week off. Yeah. Because then they're not at optimum week performance. In the case of Rudy and Donovan, the fatigue is probably significant both mentally and physically, but you can go give them two days off and, and say, like, and the Jazz do, the Jazz have these various systems that they run. So one is, they have a get-what-you-need day. That's like there's no obligation to practice. The coaches are available for you. The training staff's available for you. Frankly, you know, Anthony the chef and Bernie 
are available for you. And so if you want to come in and get your food and get some treatment, if you want to take some shots, you just want, like, whatever you need that day you do, we have nothing structured. Then they have practice days, which Quinn tries to be very attentive to the team needs, but there's, you know, the team needs stuff. And then the third one that they will do is called a lockout day, in which they are not allowed in the building, where collectively the strength and performance staff says, no one in today. You're, we're fatigued, we're mentally tired, I want no one to see anyone, and just stay, you know, and so it's a very interesting kind of balance on how they're going to do it. I know that, like, one of the big concerns on the road on days when you don't practice is you don't really want your elite athlete just laying in bed all day. Like, you want some movement that day out of your athlete. So there's, there, it's a very fine line. I, I've given you a lot of information and really with no answer. I hope it was at least interesting. Well, that system will be uh, in play then at the end of the regular season before the playoffs because they're gonna. The season ends on a Sunday, and you've already said the Jazz are gonna get the last game of the first round on a Sunday night a week later. So there's gonna be six days of. Well, there's certainly gonna be five, and probably six days of no games. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, like, what do they do? Do they hold a scrimmage in day three in there? Probably. Like they'll probably, you know, like Quinn will probably give them. Like I would just guess, like. Monday would be a get-what-you-need day. Tuesday would be a pretty hard practice day. Wednesday might actually be an off day. Thursday might be a scrimmage, like, really hard. Friday, you're digging into the game plan for the opponent, and and no shoot-around, or Saturday, something, you know, light, and no shoot-around Sunday would be my guess, is how you play that week out. Well, we got a month month to go. Maybe you go twice, right? Like, maybe you decide that you're going to actually scrimmage on if it's Sunday, that you're scrimmaging Wednesday and Friday to get the guys back every other day. I don't really, you know, Mike Elliott just is a pro at this, and that's why those guys have their jobs. Um, you know, the fact of the matter on all this is what Phoenix does next week will determine all this discussion. Phoenix plays five road games on the East Coast against the five best teams of the Eastern Conference with, I think, two back-to-backs in it. You know, if they go 4-1, and one, it's on. Like, it's a race to the finish. Uh, if they go 2-3 and three, and we don't, you know, we do our job tonight, today, and, and maybe get one of the Laker games and kind of play out the – if you look at the end of our schedule, it's not that tough. We're probably – it's probably over. But Phoenix hasn't blinked yet to their credit, so they put a lot of pressure on the Jets. Well, they got two back-to-backs on that trip. And they got, it's a brutal trip. Yeah, they got four games in six days, so we'll see how that right. works out for them. And then they just finished by flying around. You always talk about the one home game, and they got a couple of those. I mean, they're just going to be on the road nonstop the last two weeks of the season. The end of their season sucks. It's not a they, favorable their schedule. Next eight games, their next eight games are Spurs, and I'm not going to do this in the correct order, but Spurs, Bucks, 76ers, Nets, Knicks, Celtics, Clippers, Jazz. Like, you know what? They got like 6-2, and 7-1. and one. They deserve the number one seed. David, as always, we yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you this afternoon, 1 o'clock. You're, you're four, basically four hours at the start of the show. I'm aware of that and don't love it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, David. See ya.
David Locke here today with the Jazz and the Pacers, a 1 o'clock tip-off right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we got Kyle Goom, Laker beat writer, former Salt Lake Tribune writer. He's coming up at 9.05. He's 15 minutes away. Jazz and Lakers Saturday. Jazz and Lakers again on Monday. We'll see what he knows about uh, AD's health and uh, LeBron's health and the return of their two stars. Stay with us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.